0: Come on, Steve, we've got D in the car Failure is not an option. It's a problem of motivation, all right? Boy's well, got a mouth like a cannon, always shooting it off. Yeah, something like that. It's the good stuff. Shake it back! Does that feel good? (laughs) Yeah, it rhymes. They're both verbs. It's awesome. So listen to that. Welcome back to another episode of Strictly Outside the Lines. Today, we are going to be talking about an interesting topic, um, which some of you may have a hard time understanding, but I'm hoping I'll be able to do a good enough job of explaining it and um, kind of simplifying it so that you can understand it. Uh, but as the title of the topic of the show is, it's be Rebbe. Now, what does that mean? So for those of you in the Jewish community, you're probably more familiar with what a Rebbe or a Rebbe is. Uh, for those of you who are not Jewish, um, I'm going to explain as well as I can <laughs> what the idea and the concept behind a Rebbe is. Um, and again, Rebbe and Rebbe are, are interchangeable. Um, so when you look at the my background as a Chabad Hasidic Orthodox Jew... Um, we had generational leaders who were what we called Rebbeim, or they were our Rebbe. And really what they are is they are a rabbi. Some people call them the, the grand rabbi. Um, and they were really the, the leaders of the Jewish generation. Now now think in terms of Moses, right? I mean, everybody's familiar with Moses. So for each sect within Judaism, every sect has their leader. And for the Hasidic movement, we have our Rebbe, Rebbe. Um, and typically, each of the Hasidic movements have their own Rebbe, and there's big Rebbe's, there's little Rebbis, whatever it may be. But within the um, Chabad Hasidic sect, we had seven Rebbis, or nine if you count kind of the two previous ones that, that, that came really before, that really introduced um, Hasidism to the world. Now, to back up even further, Hasidism or Hasidic philosophy Is You've probably heard of Kabbalah, um, but really what it is, is it's Jewish mysticism brought down into a tangible way for the average person to understand. Um, Kabbalah is really kind of that esoteric, very mystical um, Jewish philosophy, and Hasidism or Hasidus, um, really what it does is it takes Kabbalah and it makes it a lot simpler, a lot understandable, a lot more understandable. So, if you trace the lineage of the 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 Habat Hasidic movement and the Rebbe um, or the Rebbes that came from it, um, so we mentioned in a previous episode there was a Rabbi whose name was Rabbi Yisroel Baal Shem, and otherwise known as the Baal Shem Tov, which means again the master of a good name, and he was really the one who brought Hasidus, Hasidic philosophy into this world. Before he was around, it was not something that the average person had access to. um, And it really, it didn't exist for most people. But what he did was he, not only did he highlight the simple Jew or the simple person and how even simple acts really connect an individual to God. Um, You know, whether you're a wood chopper or a water carrier, you know, that, that was your, that was your service. You didn't have to be a great sage in order to serve God. So he was really the one who completely rewrote our our thought process on connecting to to God. And a lot of that was through his Hasidic philosophy. Now, as far as Chabad is concerned, because, again, I'm a member of the Chabad Hasidic community, um, our first Rebbe, our first leader was the the Alter Rebbe. And he was, again, he was the first... He was the first Rebbe from the Chabad dynasty, and he was living around the times of Napoleon. As a matter of fact, Napoleon's war had a lot to do with um, the Alter Rebbe, and and he had a big influence on. He was really more on the side of of Russia and whatnot. Um, but th- there was a lot of interconnectivity there. So you know, then you have another six generations, which leads to the seventh generation, which really is where kind of like I come into the picture. Um, my Rebbe, though I never got to meet him in person, uh, his name was Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, and um, he lived, well, he started off in Europe, and then he, they moved to America in the 40s during the war, um, along with his father-in-law. And I'm, I'm, for those of you who are listening from the Jewish background, obviously the timeline's a little bit skewed, but I'm trying to keep things brief here. Um, but they they, they both, both the fear the Rebbe, which was, My Rebbe's father-in-law and the Rebbe moved to America um, in the 1940s. Um, And that's really kind of where things turned and and changed um, in many ways. So with the seventh Rebbe, um, which is actually the final Rebbe that we've had for the Chabad Hasidic movement, um, that was Rabbi Menachem Menosh Schneerson. Now, I was never fortunate to meet him. Uh, My father, however, was. Um, and he has many stories. And again, he's and he's not just like a, a, a I think this is the word, a, a sagacious rabbi, you know, who's well-versed in, in law. But he was somebody who was known that, you know, we, there were miracles that were performed um, and people would go to him for wisdom. They would go to him for advice. They'd go to him for insight. Individuals would go to him for business advice. World leaders would go to him. I mean, you can look this stuff up. There's books written on it. Um, you know, fascinating stuff, even for somebody in the non-Jewish or even non-religious community to to look up. But, um, okay, why am I talking about this? Because this is not a strictly Jewish podcast. Well, the reason why I'm talking about this is because I do believe in honoring um, my mentors and honoring my teachers and, and honoring my Jewish history and my, my, my Jewish culture. And so um, uh, on the date of the release of this podcast, um, it will actually be known on the Hebrew calendar as Yud Shvat, which is the 10th of the Hebrew month of Shvat. And in the Chabad community, it's a very important day because that is the day when the Freer Dicke Rebbe, again, the previous Rebbe, um, passed away. And a year later, his son-in-law, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, who was you know, the Rabbi of my generation, the Rebbe of my generation, um, that is when he finally accepted uh, becoming the the rabbi, the the rebbe of the generation, he was very reluctant to do it at first. That um, was either him or his brother in law, um, but in the end, he was the one that was appointed by by the Hasidim, by the followers. And so Yud Shvat, um, which is Wednesday when this is released, is the the day where we we celebrate and we um, commemorate both the passing and the the acceptance of, of the leadership role. Now, how does that apply to your regular person. Well, because there's something that was very unique about um, the Rebbe, as I see, you know, again, my Rebbe. And from now on, when I say the Rebbe, you just assume I'm talking about Rabbi Menachem Menachem, the seventh Rebbe, the one that lived in Crown Heights, 770 Eastern Parkway, Brooklyn, New York. Crown Heights, New York. Crown Heights, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, 11213, I think, is whatever. You can look it up. It's, it's the Chabad headquarters. Anyway, not important. Um, what is important, though, is when you look at what the Rebbe accomplished in his life. Um, For him, it was not about being a closeted Jew. It was not about keeping Judaism to ourselves, keeping things closed and quiet and wrapped up. Um, It's very well known that Chabad is not one of the, uh, you know, insular communities. On the contrary, we send out emissaries throughout the world to establish Jewish communities, to bring other Jews closer to God, um, you know, and we're not out there proselytizing, we're not trying to convert people to Judaism, it's not what we do, but we are there to make the world a better place at its core, and to provide much needed services, and, you know, you know, things to the, to, to Jews who are affiliated or not affiliated, religious or not religious, whatever it may be. So this was something that came about because of the Rebbe. He believed not in just having followers, but he believed in creating leaders. And really, that was what his life was devoted to. I mean, before that, the the the, the, the Rebbe's that came before him would send out, you know, emissaries to here and there. But as far as I know, nothing on the scale of what the Rebbe accomplished, so much so that even today, it's still going on. Um, you know, every year, there's the, the grand convention of, of all the rabbis from throughout the world, of all the Chabad rabbis, and they come together into New York for a weekend, um, and they have like a conference. So... This is something that was done by this Rebbe. It started by this Rebbe. And he sent he sent individuals throughout the world to all four corners of the world, as we say. And the point was really to affect change. Because here's the thing: what you can do on your own is very limited. You can be a leader in your home. You can be a leader in your school. You can be a leader in your work-off, in your workplace. But if you are in a position where instead of being a leader and having followers, like for example, look at influencers nowadays, right? An influencer's goal is to have millions of followers. Why? Because by having millions of followers, they make a lot of money. Now I'm sure there's influencers out there who are doing it for good reasons, whatnot. Yeah, whatever. I I tend to, from what I see in most influencers, even the Jewish ones, a lot of it is about personal gain, um, or even a lot of it is just they're, they're offering a service and a lot of people love it. You know, they, they appreciate it. So therefore they buy it. It's fine. Like, you know, my wife follows an influencer. One, of, She follows many food influencers um, and she's learned a lot from them and she's bought things from them. And you know what? Again, there's nothing wrong with it. Like this, that is your livelihood. I'm not here to attack influencers, uh, but there's others who are out there for their own personal gain. There's others who are out there because they want to become great. They want to become well-known. They want to become important. And you know what? To each their own. Like, as we say, like that's for you. But what the Rebbe did, again, he created leaders who would create leaders. And that really should be our goal in life. Our goal in life should not be just to provide a service or just to get followers, to be a famous Instagram influencer. The quickest way to becoming an influencer in real life is to provide for others, to do for others, to serve others. It is well known, many, many stories about the Rebbe, how he would stand, in his 70, 80 years old, he would stand for hours on a Sunday to give out dollars, not because he was a multimillionaire, but people would come by, they would get a dollar from him, they would request a blessing, he would give them a blessing, he would give them a dollar, and he would say, give this dollar to charity. Why? Because when two people meet, when two people come together, it should be for the benefit of the third. So he would give them a dollar so that they would go and they would give it to charity. And that charity would go to somebody who was in need. So Because when two people come together, we should be benefiting a third. It should never just be about what can the two of us accomplish? What can I accomplish for myself? What can you accomplish for myself, for yourself? It should be how can we come together and do something for the greater good? How can we do something to benefit somebody else. So in our lives, the way I view it, is we need to learn how to be Rebbe. We need to learn how to be that person who is so influential, and not just in our own personal lives, but in the lives of others, that it'll cause a ripple effect. that will get other people to start doing good for other people, because here's the amazing thing. You know, the Rebbe sent out emissaries, and a lot of them went to college towns and college campuses. And by providing a home for these college, Jewish college students to, to, to be able to go to on Fridays when they were away from home and to have a nice warm meal and a nice warm house with some chicken soup and matzo balls, what ended up happening from that is a lot of um, individuals, young Jewish individuals, ended up deciding to, who were not religious, decided to become religious, and a number of them ended up becoming emissaries later on in their lives. So you have an 18-year-old kid who's going to college, he's greeted warmly by a rabbi, eats matzo ball soup, talks to the rabbi about life. The rabbi's there to serve him. As this guy grows up, he decides, you know what, he's not going to become a lawyer or a doctor. And again, not that there's anything wrong with that, or he decides he's not going to go the path that he was going to go down. He decides, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to give what was done for me. And now you have the rebbe who is a leader, creating a leader in his emissary, who has now created a leader and one of the students that he led that he brought closer to god not that he made him religious because that is not the point and i think any of these emissaries out there who think that the point is to make somebody religious you're missing the point that was not the rebbe's goal the goal was never to make somebody more religious the goal was to bring them closer to god how do you do that by bringing them closer to themselves now, a side effect of doing that is that they will most likely end up becoming religious, but whether they become religious to our standards or somebody else's standards is not really important. The question is, do they now have a personal connection with God? Do they have a personal relationship? Because a person's relationship and a person's religiosity is between them and God. My religiosity has nothing to do with anybody else other than my connection to God. The more I'm connected to God I tend to be, the more religious I will be the less connected I am, the less religious I'll be. Why? Because religion is the practice of that relationship with God. When I put on my tefillin, my phylacteries, the, the leather straps and, and boxes that we wear in for prayer, when I put them on, it's because of the relationship that I have with God. God told me through the Torah, this is what he wants us to do. The fact that I keep kosher, that's because I have a relationship with God. And I think if you look at it, a lot of the people who aren't religious don't necessarily have a relationship with God. And again, they don't, they don't you don't have to have one to have the other. On the, on the contrary, the relationship comes first. But this is something that I think that the Rebbe understood more than many of us even did. And, and there's stories, again, where you know an individual who's a reformer, conservative, orthodox, a reformer, conservative Jew will go to the Rebbe and say, oh, I, I don't do that because I'm reform. And the Rebbe said, what's reform? The Rebbe didn't believe in these titles. He didn't believe in reform, conservative, whatever, maybe orthodox. He believed that you were born a Jewish. Therefore, you had a responsibility to yourself and to God. And it's again, it's the same thing. The thing is here, again, you can apply this to any religion really. Is the goal really to get the person to do the things that are supposed to be done or is the goal to get them to connect to God? The goal should be to get them to build a relationship and connect with God, whether that's yourself or whether that's somebody else. But by learning how to be a Rebbe for ourselves and for the people that we lead and to then create other leaders, that is where we start to affect change in the world. Because the amount of good that the Rebbe was able to do in his lifetime, he could never have done it on his own. It was only because of his influence and the fact that he created other leaders to do that for him. And here is the thing, it's not cookie cutter. There's no one way to affect change. Everybody has their unique talents, their unique abilities, their unique purpose, their methodology that works best for them to affect change. And they need to do that. You, as an individual, need to know what works best for you. How do you best affect change in others? How do you bring your relationship with God, your connection to God? And how can you help others through that? For me, my thing is being strictly outside the lines, not doing things just because, because I don't believe in that. I believe in challenging my thought processes, challenging the way I was brought up, challenging what I've been taught, and not for the sake of being a difficult child, being a difficult person, but for the sake of understanding it better. Again, if if there's something that doesn't sit right with me with regards to Judaism or religiosity, I explore it. I look into it and I say, okay, why doesn't that sit right? What could it possibly be? Do I really believe that it's just wrong at its core or do I believe that maybe modern day interpretations of it is wrong? And then I dig into that. You know, with prayer, I've talked about it. With prayer, I've done that. With connection. With, you know, kosher. You know, I, I've looked into it so many different times. And sometimes I I stick with what, what my standards are. And other times I might not maybe lower my standards because it makes more sense for me or where I am um, in, in my stage in life. You know, like a, a big thing that, that comes to mind is Passover. Passover, there's a lot of very strict laws. And growing up, we, we were very strict about what we did eat or did not eat. We did not eat any processed food on Passover. So no chocolate, none of these things that a lot of other people out there eat. And technically speaking, it's totally fine to eat it. But because of my upbringing, um, where we were taught that you cannot eat processed foods, and there was a reason for that, so I didn't eat processed foods. But as I became an adult, it it became a source of contention. and Like, I hated it. I couldn't stand the fact that everybody else is doing the things. And the only reason why I'm not doing it is because, you know, uh, this is how I was raised. So I, I spoke to different rabbis. I spoke to people who are responsible for, for the kosher industry, and I asked them, you know, what is the reality here? What's going on? I found out, and there are some concerns with processed foods, and there are some things that aren't actual concerns, and what I ended up coming to was, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll make an exception for pure chocolate. If it's pure cocoa, nothing nothing else added to, you know, I have an exception for that. Why is that the exception? I also heard that the Rebbe ate pure chocolate, <laughs> You know, so it's the sort of thing though where it's like, okay, get to the bottom of it. What is your difficulty with it and understanding? Now, I'm not going and having chips. I'm not having all these snacks that are mass produced because I do believe there's still a value to not having everything you would have during the rest of the year. Um, But again, it's that idea of getting to the core of it and understanding why are you doing the things that you're doing. And that way when you lead others, you can help them to do the same because the point of a Rebbe is not to get other people to do as he wants to be like him. The point of the Rebbe is to get people to become who they can be. There's a lot of traditions that we have nowadays and things that we do throughout the year of, you know, that came about because this is what the Rebbe did. And some of it's beautiful and others is just absolutely ludicrous. Um, Like, going uh, we get in so much trouble for this. Um, there was a a educational video I was watching where an individual was talking about the Rebbe's Passover Seder and how every year he would use Vanity Fair napkins. So if you can, you should try and use Vanity Fair napkins. Vanity Fair is a it's a it's a brand of napkins. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. The reason why the Rebbe used Vanity Fair napkins was because at the time that was the nicest brand of napkins that was available. I, was, I think it was the only nice brand of napkins that was available. And not only that, even if there were other, van, other brands, that was the brand that was sold on, on Kingston Avenue, which is down the block from the Rebbe. So the person who was in charge of buying the household supplies for the Rebbe went to Kingston Avenue, bought a nice set of napkins, you know, throw, a nice set of throwaway napkins, which happened to be Vanity Fair. And that's why the Rebbe used it. Uh, using Vanity Fair because that's what the Rebbe used. It's absolutely ludicrous. Nowadays there's a lot there's napkins that are a lot nicer than Vanity Fair, and we shouldn't be using Vanity Fair napkins just because the Rebbe did it. On the other hand, <clears throat> things like the concentration that the Rebbe had while doing prayers, his devotion to other people, the fact that he would stand there for hours. And he he literally he saw there's a story. An elderly lady once came by the Rebbe. For for dollars on Sunday. And he's, she asked the Rebbe. She said, How is it that you can stand here for hours on end and never tire? And he again, he was in his eighties. And the Rebbe responded, One never tires when he's counting diamonds. And that is the thing. The Rebbe viewed each and every single person as a diamond. Not just that they are precious and valuable, but that they are unique. There are no two diamonds that are the same. Every diamond is unique in its own way. And from my understanding of how diamonds work, every diamond has its own unique flaw. And some of those flaws make them worth even more than a regular diamond. The only diamonds that are flawless, from my understanding, are cubic zirconiums. And as we all know, cubic zirconium are fake diamonds. So the Rebbe saw everyone as being precious but also everyone as being unique and that is the thing if you're listening to this you are a diamond that means that you are unique you're not flawless if you were flawless you'd be fake but you have a flaw that is unique to you whether that's past experiences a bad habit you have whatever it may be there's something that is you see as a flaw but everybody else sees as beauty And it's for you to take that, put it in a nice setting, and show it off to the world. Show the world your unique flaw. Own that flaw. Become beautiful because of that flaw. Become that diamond that you are meant to be. And by doing so, you're going to inspire others to do the same. When you own your flaw, When you own your story, when you own the things that you've been through, the challenges that you've faced, and the challenges that you're facing, and you share that with the world, that is how you become a Rebbe. That is how you become a leader. That is how you become someone who influences others to become better. And by doing that, they're going to push back at you, and they're going to influence you. So take a moment today in honor of Yudshvat, in honor of the Rebbe, who saw people not as just meat, ba- meat bags, <laughs> but he saw people as individual diamonds. He saw people with unique talents and abilities, with unique purposes and paths and directions. He saw individuals for who they are and who they could be. So take a moment to think to yourself, who am I? Who could I be? What are the flaws that I see in myself that I think I need to get rid of? But how can I use those flaws? How can I use those challenges? How can I use those things that I feel are holding me back, keeping me from achieving more? How can I use those things that I don't like? And how can I use them to do good? How can I use them to do more? How can I use them to make a better world? How can I leave my impact on this world? Welcome to the conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to me if you would let me know by hitting that follow button and the notification bell so that the next time I release an episode, you'll be notified and you'll be able to listen to it. Additionally, it would help me immensely if you could leave me a rating and, of course, write a review. I would love to hear back from you, from your feedback, whatever it may be. So please be sure to reach out either through my email, through any of my social media platforms, or by leaving a voice note. I'd say that was a pretty successful broadcast.